So if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to the book of Luke. Uh, We have been working slowly but surely uh, through this book. And uh, today we're actually moving into chapter 8. So as you you turn there to to Luke chapter 8, you you may remember that that the big theme that, that Luke has been hammering over and over and over again has been... You know, who is Jesus and how are we going to respond to him? How are we going to respond to his word? And what we've been seeing is that it, it's usually the people that you wouldn't expect to respond who actually do. Uh, last week we saw uh, this, this interesting, it was a meal at the home of, of a Pharisee, a religious leader. And, and he's cold to Jesus. He's formal with Jesus. This woman comes in, just pours herself out at Jesus feed and everyone's saying, oh, this is a a sinful woman and Jesus cares for her, um, declares her her sins forgiven. And so it challenges just the the assumptions about spiritual reality. And today, uh, this this text that I'll read in a moment, um, it's the the famous parable of the sower. And um, there's a a lot here in these 15 verses. um, And I I kept thinking, oh man, I could preach probably three or four sermons, but we will finish Luke someday. So we're doing one one sermon uh, here. Uh, And and this this parable, as you'll see, is dealing with this idea of response to Jesus. How do different kinds of hearts uh, respond? But as as I'm reading this passage, uh, pay attention to the first three verses, because we're not going to spend much time there um, today, uh, but it, it almost feels like he, he has this quick little aside before going into the, the parable, and really what he's emphasizing are the, the women who are following him in his ministry. Um, and you know it names them, Mary Magdalene, um, Joanna, Susanna, and, and that's, it's pretty remarkable uh, for, for Luke to put these sorts of details in because it was a very chauvinistic society. And, and for him to emphasize, look, the, the, there was the women that were following him um, is showing just the, the dignity and the, the honor that, that Jesus gave to, to the women who, who followed him in his ministry. So you can just keep that in, in mind as I read. So again, Luke uh, chapter 8, and I'll begin reading in verse 1, and, and if you're using the, the Pew Bible near you, uh, this is on page 864. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of uh, Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. 
And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, that we would receive the seed of your word from this passage, and that would grow up in our hearts and and bear fruit. And so we we pray this in in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. One thing that I I really like a lot myself are uh, different personality tests, and so I don't know if you ever take them. Sometimes there's little ones on Facebook you click and it tells you what Harry Potter character you are or something like that. Um, But then there's others that, that are used for... Um, business or for understanding leadership and um, those can also be pretty interesting Um, and Grace and I actually had to do one called the DISC actually in our church planning assessment before we were sent out to to plant Hope Church and you know DISC there's the the D, I, C uh, and S and and so each of those represent a different kind of personality type especially for, for leadership. So somebody who is a high D is the type of person who doesn't mind telling people what to do, even if they don't really want to be told what to do, uh, which sounds negative, but I mean, it's a really good trait to have for somebody who's you know, a police officer or in the military. Um, and then high I's are people who have a lot of trouble telling somebody what to do, but we'll just talk and talk and try to influence other people to agree with them. That's kind of what I am. So, um, and, and then people who are S's tend to be a little bit more on the introverted side. Um, they're, it's called steady. Uh, they won't tell you what to do. They won't necessarily try to influence you, but it's more I'm going to facilitate you to make a decision. Um, and then people who are the, the C's, it's conscientious, um, also generally, generally a little bit more introverted. Uh, And they're the people who, they won't tell you what to do, but it's more, here's a spreadsheet or here's a policy. And so we're going to kind of write this down and here it is, and then we'll all follow it and it'll be okay. Um, And so, you know, those kinds of things, even as I'm saying it, you're probably thinking, well, I may be this and my wife or husband may be this. um, And you can always go home and, you know, Google it in the week and, you know, take one of the, the tests online and see what you are. But in a way, what we have in this parable today 
is kind of a, a spiritual personality test in a way um, that, that Jesus is laying out four different types of people who respond differently to the, to the word of God. And sometimes you know, we think of this as different types of seed, but as we'll see that, that really the seed is the same and that it's four different types of soil. There's the, the path soil, the rock soil, the thorny soil, and then the good soil. And then each of these soils represent the, the human heart and the way that the, the human heart responds to the word of God as it, as it hits our lives and our ears and kind of settles down deep within us. And it's, I think that within a church, a healthy church, hopefully, will have people at, at different places, different kinds of soil. That as much as we would want to say, you know, well, our church is all good soil, <laughs> um, that, that there's, there's always different types of soil um, because we want people in a church who are at different places um, in their spiritual walk. But as we go through this, and we're going to just go soil by soil and look at each one, of, of really asking the question of ourselves, of, of ex examining our hearts and saying, you know, who am I? What is the, the soil of my heart? And how am I responding to the word of God as I hear it? That's the, the big question that I think we should be wrestling with. So with that in mind, here's the, the first soil. So is your heart like the soil on the path? And look at, at verse 4 there in your Bible. Jesus says, and when a, well, Luke says rather, and when a great crowd was gathered and people from the town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And so your Jesus is beginning with this just very simple image of sowing in a field. And, you know, one commentary I, I was saying, well, maybe there, there was somebody, there's a field off to the side, somebody's sowing, and he could just be picking up an image that's literally beside him as he's teaching. But this is something that would have been seen by everyone in that society. And it's a little bit different image of agriculture than we have today, where they would prepare the soil then maybe take a, a basket of seed or some sort of apron and would just broadcast the seed out into the, the field. And then naturally some would fall in places where it could grow, but then some would fall in places where it wouldn't grow, but it's okay because you're broadcasting the seed very widely. And so Jesus tells the parable, but then what's interesting, and you maybe picked up on this as I was reading, is he, he didn't explain the meaning of it to the people, <laughs> to the crowd. And we'll talk about why that is in a moment. It, it seems kind of strange to us. But, but then he goes along to his disciples on the side, and they say, well, what in the world were you talking about? You know, we understood. It's a common image, but we don't know what you're saying. And so he begins to explain the image. And look at how he explains this, this first soil in verse 11 to his disciples. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who, having heard, or who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And so you get the allegory that, that Jesus is saying, all right, the, the seed is the word of God going forth into the world. The, the 
condition of the soil is the human heart. And so as you look at this and you say, well, how would, how would I know if I were this first type of soil, if this were me? And, and probably this is the type of person that is less likely to show up in church. Um, but I think that if this um, were you today, it's somebody who you know, he, the, hears the word, but is, is completely indifferent to it. it. It doesn't, they don't even really want to take time to consider it at all. Or maybe there's even a, a reaction of, of anger in some way, hostility, but, but just not wanting anything to do with it. And this could be where you are. You think, that, okay, this has nothing to do with me. I don't know why I'm here. Um, this could also be where a lot of your friends and, and family and acquaintances are where you talk about the Bible or about Christianity or your faith in different ways, and the, the person either just doesn't want to hear it or is indifferent to it or it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And so how do we respond if, if that is what we encounter in relationship with other people? And I think that the, the first thing is that we're, it, we pray for people. We, we love people sacrificially. We don't reject people, that our, our call is actually to love people um, as Christ first loved us and, and gave himself for us. Um, and so we try to pattern that in different ways. But then also, I think it's important not to forget the reality of spiritual warfare. And you see Jesus hinting at this when he talks about this soil. And the, the Apostle Paul also says that, that we, we don't wage war against flesh and blood but against principalities in the heavenly places. And, and Jesus says here that it's, it's Satan, it's this great fallen angel who comes and, and plucks away this seed that hits the heart before it even has the opportunity to start growing. And I think that, that sometimes Satan um, try, definitely tries to attack Christians, tries to uh, tempt them to, to forsake their faith or to fall into some sort of a sin. But even for a good doctor, I mean, a really good doctor knows that doing preventative medicine is way easier. It's easier to stop a condition or to prevent a condition than to try to cure it later on down the line. And in that what, what Jesus is saying here is that, that essentially Satan does preventative temptation, where the, the greatest desire is to, to keep the word from even growing at all in the heart, because it's a lot harder to, to deal with then. It's, it's, a, it's a better use of uh, his time and his energy. And, and listen to how this uh, great 19th century pastor, J.C. Ryle, describes this. And you know, this is in his book on the, the commentary of the book of Luke. He says, Let us take heed that we are not wayside hearers. Let us beware of the devil. We shall always find him at church. He never stays away from public ordinances. Let us remember this and be upon our guard. Heat and cold and droughts and damp and wet and rain and snow are often dreaded by churchgoers uh, and alleged as reasons for not going to church. But there is one enemy whom they ought to fear uh, more than all of these together, and that enemy is Satan. And I think that what he's saying there is exactly right, that, that there is actually a dimension of spiritual warfare that goes on in church. It goes on during the week. And so for somebody who is, 
indifferent to the gospel. And again, maybe this is where you are today, saying, I don't, it just seems completely irrelevant. That, that you, in reality, if the Bible is actually true, that there is a cosmic warfare and battle going on. And essentially, in the indifference, you are choosing a side and unaware of it. And that, if, if, again, if the Bible is really true, that's a, a dangerous, scary place to be. And so that's the, the first soil here. But here's the, the second soil. Is your heart like the, the rocky soil? Now look at, at verse 6. And some seed fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And you, you maybe you see this of, you know, there's times where you go out and there's a, a little plant growing out of a tiny crack in the sidewalk. Or you'll see a plant just coming out the side of a building in some way and you think, how in the world did that seed even start to grow at all? Um, and you know that it's not going to turn into some kind of enormous oak tree because it doesn't, there's nowhere for the roots to go. There's no moisture. So look at how Jesus then takes that image and applies it to his disciples in verse 13. He says, And the, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So here again, you look at this, you say, well, how would I know if this were me? And really, it would be the, the type of reaction where you, you go to church and you, you hear the gospel being preached, you hear what, what Christianity is about, and you say, wow, this is really amazing, I, I love this. And, and you start reading the Bible and it seems really um, exciting and, and it's something that you really, really want to do. Uh, maybe even get involved in a church in, in certain ways. Uh, but then something happens and that uh, enthusiasm begins to, to wax and, and to wane. Um, you start seeing flaws in your pastor, which trust me, you will. <laughs> uh, you start seeing um, flaws in the, the, the service, maybe it's music or the teaching or some aspect starts getting um, under your skin. And uh, you start to realize that the people around you are actually sinners as well, just like you. Um, and then you realize that even though there's a great promise of hope in Christianity, it doesn't immediately solve all of the problems of life, that, that life can still be hard, and often the Christian life is one of, of suffering where we're called to take up our cross and, and follow Jesus. And, and so then it's just this slow drift away then from, from faith. And I've definitely seen this at, at Hope, um, and from every church that I've been part of, where people will join or, or they'll get involved and they'll be really excited. And then they sort of just disappear and you don't really hear from them again and you try to reach out to them. Um, and I, I think that, that for me, that's probably one of the, the hardest aspects of, of pastoral ministry. And, and I probably for other pastors as well, because I mean, I think what we all desire is to see people change, to see people come to know Christ see people transformed, and then it feels like, okay, God's moving, he's working. Oh, wait, the person's just sort of wandered away and is not involved at all with um, their faith. And, you know, and I think that this is part of the reason that um, it's really important to 
to walk with people just in the process of them exploring what Christianity is about. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of churches that will do an altar call or something like that. And I'm not saying that those churches are, are wrong. There can be a place for that. Uh, but I think that, that for, for churches that do that, there can be a, a danger of uh, kind of people being almost manipulated into making a spur of the moment kind of decision, like to walk down an aisle or something like that, um, but it's not really reflecting genuinely where they are. And I think that that's different. Not that God doesn't suddenly change people, for, you know, from death to life, uh, but there, there's a difference of being able to, you know, walk with a local church and, and to be able to, you know, grow and, and be discipled, um, to, to explore what it's, what it's about and, and to be able to really make the decision uh, knowing, yeah, this is really reflecting what is coming from my heart. So that's the, the second soil here. Uh, but here's the, the third. Is your heart like the thorny soil? Look at verse 7. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And really that, that image to me reminds me of the, the garden that my family and I had in, in North Carolina when I was growing up. The, when we lived in Colorado, we were at 10,000 feet and had 14 frosts three days a year, so you couldn't grow anything. Um, and then in North Carolina, we thought, oh, this is wonderful. We'll, ha- we'll plant a garden. But then we, we were lazy. And plants just grow so fast there that you don't weed for two days. And you come down and wait, where did it go? The garden's invisible. Um, and, and so, you know, our plants would just be surpassed by the, by the weeds and the thorns. And then they would pretty much be smothered and die and not bear any fruit. Uh, but look at how Jesus takes that image and applies it in verse 14. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now this one, I think, for me, is really the most kind of frightening of the soils, uh, because the, the first two are people who basically end up at a place where they're self-consciously not following Christ, not self-consciously part of a church. You know, the one is never really interested. The other is interested for a while, but then says, yeah, it's not really for me, and, and goes away. But this soil is describing the, the, the type of person who it would still say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I belong to this church. I'm a member of this church. Um, I'm a Christian but yet they've kind of slowly gotten entangled with other things. And, and so these are the ki- kinds of things that you might hear from somebody who's going down this kind of path, I think. So it's okay if I miss church most of the time during football season because I need to catch up on the game I miss during the week. Or it's okay if I, if I don't participate in my church because I just have so much uh, work to do around my house at least for a few months or it's okay if I if I don't read my Bible and pray because I just got a, a promotion I'm so busy you know eventually things will settle down and I'll start reading my Bible praying getting involved in church again or you know someday I'll read the Bible and pray with my family but right now it's just it's too much I have to get to to work earlier and even as I as I as I read those things you might say and this is true, none of those things are necessarily bad in themselves because we go through different seasons of life, right, where sometimes we're busy, sometimes we don't 
make it to church. Sometimes things are, you know, that's just the, the way that life is. But look again at verse 14 and just look at how Jesus describes this, this thorny ground. He says that they are choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. You know, those three words, the cares, riches, and pleasures. And if you think, you know, what does care, riches, and pleasure describe? And in a way, to me, it describes America. <laughs> you know, that, that this, is, this is very much the way we are. We have a lot of cares, a lot of riches, and a lot of pleasures. Um, it, it also, I think, describes very well Garnet Valley. It describes Chad's Ford. It describes our, our region. We have a lot of cares, a lot of riches, a lot of pleasures. And the things aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but only if they become this distraction from what is most important. And um, I, I, I laugh. I quote Ryle about every, every week. It's, he has really good quotes. I, this is Ryle, who I quoted earlier, uh, talking about this from this passage. He says, The things of this life form one of the greatest dangers which beset a Christian's path. The money, the pleasures, the daily business of the world are so many traps to catch souls. Thousands of things which in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, little better than soul poisons and helps to hell. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. In the midst of our families and the pursuit of our lawful callings, we have need to be on our guard. Except we watch and pray, these temporal things may rob us of heaven and smother every sermon we hear. We may live and die thorny ground hearers. I mean, you, know, you think of that, that, that you, that, that I, could, could live and die as, as thorny ground hearers who are, are hearing the word. We, we think of ourselves as believers, but, but we have, there's so many cares and, and distractions. And, and I, I, that's, for me, I mean, even you think, well, as a pastor, you don't have that problem. But even as a pastor, there, there are so many polls to think about so many things other than what is, is most important. So that's why I say I think that this is the most sobering um, for those in, in, I think, in churches in general. So that's the, the third soil. But here's the, the fourth and final soil. That is your heart like the good soil. Look at verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then listen to how Jesus interprets that in verse 15. He says, And as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And so if you're wondering, well, is this me? <laughs> Um, then, then here are, are three questions that you might want to ask yourself. Uh, the, the first is, do I see a, a pattern of repentance in my life? There are times where, of course, we, we, we don't repent when we should, but, but one mark of a heart that is really soft to the Lord is one that has been you know, plowed by God and his word and, and is really soft to admit sin to others, uh, to admit sin to ourselves, to admit it to God, to, to live lives of repentance. The second question, um, do you see a, a pattern of faith in your life? 
Again, we can always say, I wish I had more faith. I wish I believed more. But is there this, this sense of, I realize I can't trust in myself, but I need to trust in something outside of myself, to trust in, in Jesus for life, for salvation, for hope. Well, then the third question is, do I see a pattern of, of obedience? Again, none of us have that, that perfectly, that, that we always struggle in the Christian life in different ways. Uh, but in Galatians 5, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that, that flows out of a life that is renewed and transformed by the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that, that these are the things that are, are welling up from the heart of, of good soil. And so I hope that, that for all of us, that this is what we're seeing you know, arising from our hearts. But I think that, that if you look and say, yeah, I, I do see a general pattern of repentance and faith and, and desire for obedience, then actually you have to be really careful as well. Um, and I think that that's what Jesus is getting at as well for us in verse 9 and 10. So look there in your Bible. It says, when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, so that, you know, the crowd is gone, Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And so I've, I've heard people say that, well, Jesus spoke in parables because he, he was a really good teacher, and, and he knew how to use concrete images to help people understand what, what he was saying. And, and I definitely think that there's truth in that, that the images are really helpful. But according to Jesus, and what he says here in these two verses, that he actually spoke in parables not to clarify truth, but actually to obscure truth. That, you know, that it, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. And so it's this image of, of you know, actively concealing, and, and to drive it home, Jesus actually quotes for us Isaiah chapter 6. And you heard it read for our Old Testament reading. Uh, but you know, God is, is sending out the prophet, calling him to uh, proclaim the word of God to the, to the people of God. And it's the, this calling that no one would want where he says, I want you to go and, and proclaim the word of God to the people. And then if you, if you were to turn back to Isaiah 6.10, he says that you know, by teaching, it's not going to soften them so that they repent. But he says, make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. It's pretty just to say blind their eyes is what God's telling him to do through his preaching. Lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And so it's just this essentially judgment that God brings on, on the people of this, this active hardening through God's word that keeps them from seeing and understanding. And that, I mean, this is really hard. <laughs> um, you know, this is one of those, those sections where it would be, e I, 
it's tempting when I preach just to not talk about these verses or just say, talk to me afterwards. Um, but, but really, this is, this is connected to just the, the biblical idea that God is he's sovereign. He's ultimately the one who is in control of the human heart. Uh, he is the one who is in control of, of salvation. And, and this is taught other places in Scripture. So I'm going to just read a couple passages. And so kind of bear with me uh, here. Uh, but so this is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, uh, starting in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, as according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Or Jesus in John 15, verse 16, he says to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. And then in John 6, Jesus says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. You know, and there, there are many other passages like this. We could keep going, and, and there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot to be said here, um, and there's a lot we don't understand. And, you know, I'm happy to have the, those conversations about it uh, with you, you know, at, at any point. But I think that, that the, the kind of the big takeaway, you say, all right, so that was a lot of information. Like, what do I really need to know <laughs> from this for my, for my life? And I think that, that the, the takeaway for all of us is that if we examine our hearts and our lives and we see this, see a pattern of, of faith and repentance and, 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 and obedience, that we can't boast in and of ourselves, that we somehow prepared our heart. So our heart is not soft to the Lord because we're better than other people or because we're smarter than other people or because we somehow put the pieces together we figured it out and, and others didn't, that, that it's, it's all the, the mercy and, and the grace of God that, that is a gift and that, that salvation is completely of the Lord. And so there's, there's no room to, to boast. And this is, this is really what Jesus, I think, is talking about to Nicodemus in John 3. So this, this religious leader comes to Jesus and, and Jesus tells him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And you think, wait, <laughs> isn't it the opposite that, that if you see the kingdom of God, you'll be born again? And that's what we think of, oh, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to become a good person, and maybe at the end, God will change my heart and I'll, I'll have a new, a new life. But in the Bible, actually, the, the order is, is the opposite, that God in his grace plows our heart. He prepares the field of our of our lives. And so it, when that seed of the word hits our heart, if we respond, it was his grace, his mercy that, that prepared the field in advance. And I think that, that, as I said, that leads to humility because we say, I can't prepare my heart. But I also think that, that it can give us a sense of, um, of boldness as well uh, because, because we recognize that yeah, that to, to you it has been given to know the secrets, the, the secrets of the kingdom of God. And, 
You know, Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? So it's a gift. And so then our calling is to just be able to tell people about how marvelous Jesus is. And, and knowing that, that it's not up to us. We can't change the heart. We don't know. Only God knows what kind of heart people have. And so we can you know, boldly talk about what Jesus has done for us and be able to trust him for the results. Trust him for, for what is going to flow out of this. And, and I think that that's a, a very liberating idea as we, we share the gospel. So those then are the, the four soils, right? Um, and, I, and I said at the beginning that this is kind of like the, the personality test of you know, who are you, where are you in these four soils. But there's, I think, a really big difference between a personality test well, a lot of differences, but a big difference is between a personality test and what Jesus is saying here in this parable is that, you know, if you take a personality test, it's kind of fatalistic. It's, well, this is your personality, this is who you are, and you're kind of going to be that forever, so you need to figure out how to work with it. But I, I don't think that that's what Jesus is doing here with his parable. He's not just saying, figure out where you are, what kind of soil, and sorry, you're just kind of stuck there. But what, but what he's, he's saying is that actually the, the parable itself coming in that act of hearing the warning, examining our hearts, is part of God through his spirit actually softening our hearts and, and being able to, to challenge us to not stay where we are and to continue pursuing the Lord. And, and you know, this is part of the reason that, that we end um, each of our services with the, with the Lord's Supper. Because this is... A challenge of, you know, how will we respond to, to God's word? 